Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Good morning to you guys who are online as well. I know you can't uh, actually talk to me, but, well, you could send something into the, uh, the comment section, I guess, if you, if you can do that. Um, I started a series last week called Unclaimed, and it's really a three-part series, and so um, I'm doing it in two parts. So if I talk really fast, will you kind of go with me? I mean, you guys are like, I know you do that normally. <laughs> so will you track with me as I go? Uh, I promise to slow down on the, on the parts that are important. Some of you guys are thinking, well, just say the parts that are important. <laughs> I have a running commentary in my head. I don't know if you do that when, when you're doing public speaking. Um, we talked about last week, um, there's a fascinating story in um, the New York Times in 2015. It's the last year that they actually had uh, statistics for this. But it turns out that there's $4.5 billion in unclaimed assets just sitting there in government, state, you know, um, coffers. There's, that's just where they are. There's millions and millions and millions of dollars of unclaimed uh, uh, value of unclaimed property that also sit in there, things that have been given in wills that were never, never received. I mean, uh, lottery where they couldn't find. Can you imagine someone playing the lottery and then not being able to be found? <laughs> but that happens way more often than you would be imagined. So there's just, it's just so many, there's so much unclaimed uh, value out there. It's just, re, it's just amazing to think about how much is there that we, and maybe, maybe there's something that you can go online and check out. Just be careful there are also a lot of scams, so you can get caught up in that. But all you have to do to get this, uh, to get this unclaimed um, value of whether it's property or whether it's money is to prove who you are, number one, and then secondly, how you're related to the person or to the entity that gave it. That's all you have to do. If you can prove those two things, then you get what was sitting in their coffer as it comes to you. So there's this interesting scripture in Joshua. This is Joshua 18.2. I read this last week kind of as an introduction. Uh, it says, there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. And so we know the story, of the, most of us know the story of, of Israel. They'd crossed the Jordan and they were going into the land that God had promised them. But many of the tribes, because they were not co-laboring with the Lord, they were not marching, they were not going where they needed to go, um, never actually received the inheritance. Some of them because they were afraid, lacked faith. Some of them because they felt like the obstacles that were in their way were too great. Uh, some of them thought that it wasn't possible to receive everything that God actually had promised them. So never, so they actually never received the inheritance that was due them. And many Christians have the same experience. We've been given God's word. We've been given these precious promises that we know are true. We've seen God uh, come through in previous times. Um, God's given us his Holy Spirit to walk with us, to speak with us, to guide, with, guide us, to speak to our direction. And uh, he's given us a plan for our life. Um, most of us, especially in this church, we've heard prophetic words and indications of what God is, is after in us, our purpose, our destiny. But here's the thing, as we kind of finish out this series, if you're going to walk in everything that God has offered you, all the claims that, that God has put out there, all the, the inheritance he's made available, there's three things you need to do. One, you have to discover the giver. We talked about that last week. That's who's giving it to you. Who's the person? What's he like? Is he trustworthy? Can you trust? One, is he able? Does he actually have an inheritance? Is he able to give it? Secondly, you'll need to discover the inheritance. What is it actually? Is it valuable enough? Is it worth enough for you to pursue it and go after it? So you figured out what you're going to get out of this. And then lastly, you're going to need to discover the method of, in, of inheritance. What is it like the unclaimed, uh, you know, the unclaimed assets are out there for the government? You have to, there's certain things that you have to do. There's some, uh, some forms that you have to fill out. There's some identity that you have to show. You know, there's some paperwork that you have to do. So there's a method of the inheritance or how do you get it. And so again, last week we talked about how, um, how to know the person who's actually giving you the inheritance. So we talked about the fact that he actually has revealed himself to us, that he's made uh, himself available. He's shown us whether he's worthy, whether he has the ability. So we talked about that. Gave a little bit of information about his attributes, what makes him able to give you an inheritance. So we talked about the fact that he's sovereign. That means he's the boss. He has the right to do what he wants with what he's created. Um, that God is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful, and it means he has the ability to do what he wants, and he has the power to give you an inheritance so you can do that. God is omniscient. means he's all-knowing, which means he has the wisdom to give you what's best for you. You know, um, there's some scriptures we're going to get into about that where Jesus talks about it. And then God is holy. There's more, but God is holy. This means that he is holy and completely different than us. 
God is separate from all other things, and he is 100% pure in everything that he does. He is perfectly righteous. And so why is that important? It means his intentions towards us are pure. Can you imagine an all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing God whose intentions towards you were not kind and good? <laughs> There's been a lot uh, lately. You know, used to, be, used to the superhero movies were all positive. They were kind of a little bit campy, but they were still all positive. You know, the superhero may have done some bad things, but his heart was never to do that. It was an accident. It, was, it wasn't his intention, you know. Or he was fighting a bad guy, and he destroyed a lot of things. But nowadays, there are TV shows and actually movies. Horror, there's actually a horror movie about a Superman-like child that's born who turns out to be bad, and his whole, his whole desire is to come and conquer the earth. And so anyway, don't watch it. I, I look, <laughs> when I was doing some of the research, I, I, I watched a little bit of it. I'm like, I, I have to go pray. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really scary. But that's the thought. I mean, can you imagine a God who has all these attributes, and yet, yet he's not good, and he's, and he's not kind. And so thankfully, God is good, and his heart is to give you an inheritance. That's uh, part of the process. We understand the redemption process of Jesus coming to the cross, and people wonder about that story, and it's because God is good, and he longs to give us an inheritance. He longs to draw us in as sons and daughters and give us an inheritance. So he's perfectly righteous. He's pure, which means you can trust him in what he does and what he says. So to receive an inheritance, you have to know the giver. But what is it that we're actually receiving? Um, what are you actually getting? So we want to discover the inheritance. What is it that, that, that God is actually making available to us? What's our inheritance in Christ? And the Bible's full of references to this. I'm just going to give you three. One's found in Ephesians 1.11. It says, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Isn't that good news? Not only has, does he have an inheritance for you, but if we are paying attention, he will guide you into the inheritance that he has for you. First Peter 1.4 says, and we have a priceless inheritance. A priceless. So you wonder about the value of your inheritance. It's, you, can't, you can't estimate it. It's a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And Colossians 1.12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. This is a beautiful picture of grace, and we're going to get into this in the coming months, about how God has qualified us to receive the inheritance. You know, if you're trying to find a way to be, uh, uh, to be deserving of the inheritance, right? You see this all the time that someone, <laughs> someone has done something that they ought not have done, and the Father cuts them out of the will, Right? And so the, the good news is that that's never God's intention to cut you out of the wheel. Now, here's the thing. Practically speaking, you can do some things or not do some things that keep you from walking in the fullness of the inheritance. And that's really what we're trying to talk about here. What are the things that are getting in the way of us receiving everything that God had intended for us? Because his intention is pure. He's able. It's available to us. The Bible said he's kept it in heaven, pure. It's undefiled. Nothing can get to it. It's ready and it's available. So how come we're not seeing as much of it as we really should? It turns out that our inheritance is twofold when it comes to what we're receiving. One is an eternal inheritance. This is something we kind of get. Um, we just made the reference about heaven. Um, and the fact that God has saved us into eternity, he's rescued us, we, we get eternal life. We get to live with him forever in heaven. And I, I see a lot of stuff online where people make fun of this. They're like, oh, you know, we're just going to sit on clouds like little baby angels, you know, and we're just, you know, they make fun of what it's like to be in heaven with God. But, but that's mainly because they don't know what God's like. Right? And they don't know what heaven's like, and they don't know the intention of God in that. But God has saved us from our sin. What, what kept us from coming into the inheritance, what kept us from having God and everything that he's provided for us, he made the way when we could not. We know this story. He, he took our sin and what Jesus did on the cross. He took our sin and he, he paid the entire penalty for it so we could come before him as if we have never sinned. It's a beautiful redemption story, and we know that. 1 John 5.11 really captures it probably as, as well as any other scripture. Um, verse 11 says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. It's connected. We're going to get to that in just a second, but it's connected in relationship. Your inheritance is through relationship. And, and just the nature of the word inheritance we kind of see that, that it's through relationship. He goes on, verse 12 says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God 
does not have life. It really just doesn't get any simpler than that. Right? Acts 4.12, there's, there's salvation in no other name than Jesus Christ. And so I've had numerous conversations over the years with people who say, well, it's not fair that God would do that. Remember we talked about originally that God's sovereign. You don't get to say to the Creator, I'm mad with the way you've created me. You don't get to say, you can. Good luck with that, right? We don't get to say that. And so the, the whole thing is you can decide whether you like that or not. That's up to you. But the more I've understood God, where there are aspects of him that I didn't understand or I thought were unfair or I thought he didn't do well, the more I understand of who he is and what he's done and why he's doing it, the more I, I realize, God, you do actually know what you're doing. Go figure, right? So as much as we like to look toward heaven, some people, those are the only songs they sing. They you know, have the escapist mentality. Lord, I've got an inheritance in heaven. It sucks here, especially in COVID 2020, right? And I'm ready to get out of here. I'm ready to, to, to leave this place. I'm tired of the, the pain and the heartache and the brokenness and, you know, and, and the wars and people doing this and doing that. I'm just, I just want to escape. And so there's something about that. Of course, there's a longing for the inheritance, the eternal inheritance. And it comes, I promise you, sooner than you know, right? And the longer I live, the quicker it comes, right? That's just kind of how that works. But as much as we like to look forward to heaven, there's a reason why we're still here. I've made this uh, comment numerous times. I, I, it was always fascinating to me, you know, if, if I really understand grace, the way grace is presented in Scripture, this gospel that Paul preached, this gospel that the apostles preached, the gospel of grace, that when I'm saved, I don't get any more righteous than that. Right, because I've been given a gift of righteousness, and I've never deserved it, and there was never enough that I could do, because if I, if I found fault in one point, I've... I've I've basically, I've uh, violated the entire law, right? And so James talks about that. Other scriptures talk about that, especially in the Old Covenant. So, so I, 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 this mindset came, okay, well, I got saved, and, and, and his, his righteousness is now given to me as a gift, and that's allowed me to come into his presence. There's no sin in the way, right? And then I sinned. <laughs> and right, so then the question comes, well, okay, well, did that actually remove me from God's presence? Did the gift of righteousness get taken back because I messed up, because I sinned? And the answer, of course, if you hang around here, you'll find out quickly, the answer is no. So what about a pattern of, of sin? And so maybe you and I can argue about whether a person ever actually had an encounter with God or they just said words and never had an intent of their heart. We can have that conversation all day long. But at the end of the day, if you become a son, you can't become an unson. Right? <laughs> so even if the father decides to cut you off, your natural father decides to cut you off, it's not like you don't look like him, right? It's not like you don't have his DNA. So maybe in this natural world, he removes his inheritance from you, but the king will not do that, especially the eternal inheritance. But there's a temporal in inheritance as well. There's an eternal one that, that's awaiting us in heaven. Of course, we know that. But why are we still here? And so one of the, one of the things you see in this temporary inheritance are gifts, Right? So the Bible talks about God giving gifts to his, his children. Right, and We're going to get to that scripture in just a second. But, but what are they for? Um, I remember growing up, I, I got gifts that were you know, mostly toys. And then as I got a little bit older, you know, they got into electronics and that kind of thing. And then one Christmas, I got a motorcycle. And that was probably the best Christmas up until that point. Right, <laughs> Not knowing I'd almost kill myself with that thing. But the gifts typically were just about me. Right? They were about me and my selfish use of the gift. And you can do that. Um, 1 Corinthians talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And the reason why Paul is writing to the church is because they were using the gifts in ways they should not use the gifts. They were using the gifts God had given them rather than to bless others. They were doing it to bless themselves or to make themselves look good or a hundred other reasons, but they were all selfish. So we can misuse the gifts. But the gifts are not just given to you. They are given to you to enjoy. The, the gift of, of encouraging can also encourage you. The gift of teaching can also teach you. The gift of leading, you kind of get the picture. So the gift, the gift is available to you, and when it's working, it works for you. We talked about this when, when uh, you, you notice a child has a strong gift of leadership, um, especially when they have siblings. If you put them in charge, they are a tyrant. That's the first thing they decide is, I, I have minions now. Like, all my siblings become minions, right? They never think about how do I bless these people that have been put under my charge. It's not really the first thing that comes to mind, right? So the gifts can be mis misused, but ideally they were designed not just for you, but they were designed to serve other people. And so, you, again, you see this, God's design is that we are in connection with others, in relationship with others. And part of your inheritance 
is, is made available through the gift that God has given me to help you discover that many times. And so again, it's very interconnected. Um, the manifestation gifts, um, words of wisdom and knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous gift of miracles, um, speaking in tongues, that's not a real popular one. But I'm telling you, if you understand Scripture and some of these gifts that are made available, when you really begin to understand what they do, I remember the first time I heard a message in tongues, it freaked me out. I didn't know what to do with it. In all honesty, the first, very first time, I just thought it was Spanish because I was from Alabama back in, you know, I grew up in the 80s. So anything foreign was Spanish. That's just how it was before the internet, right? So, but I began to understand that I remember the first time it happened to me and I actually operated in that gift. And that was a weird thing because I'm, you know, I'm a thinker by nature. And, and, and this is just the way God designed me. And I, and I thought about it a lot. And, I, and, and the more I thought about it, the more at some point it transcended my natural mind. And it just said, that's above your pay grade, right? Not all of it. There's a lot to understand. But there's some of it that was supernatural that means it was above natural. And I'm, you know, my, I was living in the natural and I had to learn how to live in the spirit. That's also part of the, the gift that God gives to us is his spirit comes and indwells us. And then we begin to be citizens of two worlds at the same time, right? And so we're a citizen in that eternal heaven that's, a, that's there. And at the same time, we're here. And if, if you've ever been caught up in worship in, this, in, in a way that just draws you into the presence of God, I, I remember many times where I, I, I would, for lack of a better term, I would become aware again of the natural world. But wherever I was, I wasn't here, even though I was here. And I would look, and, and the front of my shirt would be just covered with, with the tears. I've just been crying for, you know, 40 minutes nonstop, just in the presence of God. And, and I remember those things are, are supernatural. They're above what we have here. But, but those gifts that God brings to us are not just for us. They're also, again, that'll bless us, but it's also to bless other people. So it's helpful to, to remember that. There's an interesting scripture in 1 Corinthians 13.8 that says love never fails, right? That's an eternal thing. We get it. But whether they're prophecies, I just read some of the, the gifts, um, they will fail. Whether they're tongues, they'll cease. Whether there's knowledge, it will vanish away. And so it shows that the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, the, you know, part of the grace gifts are eternal. Part of it is just, again, for serving here. But, but it just shows that those things are temporary because you're not going to need the gift the gift of prophecy when you're standing before the one who is prophesied about and you're in his presence, right? You're not going to need the gifts of healing, right, when um, you're perfectly whole in an, an eternal body. So that, and that's hard for us to wrap our head around. But, but the gifts are, again, temporary. So that means you've got, to, you've got to make use of them while we're here. And part of the inheritance that we have so often, I've, I've had a conversation with cessationists. If you don't know what a cessationist that is uh, or what it is, it's someone who's grown up in a church culture that no longer believes that the supernatural is available. They do believe that Jesus did miracles. They do believe that the gifts of the Spirit were available to the early church. And they'll use this scripture that I just read in 1 Corinthians to say that the gifts came to establish the church, but after that, there's no longer a need for that. And that is one interpretation. I, I, I've come to believe that that's not the correct interpretation because I have walked in these, in these gifts and I've seen them for the last 30 years. They've been amazing. It's, for me, it's, it's a really compelling challenge to that, to that interpretation of the Scripture. But what's been amazing is, is when we walked in these gifts and the power of God comes through and He works in these gifts, it's so often, again, when I pray for someone and they've been healed, when I give a, a word of prophecy or a word of knowledge and that person recognizes that God has been in their life the whole time, that you know, He's been, as we put it, He's been reading their mail. Like they'll say that to you, oh, you man, you've been, you read my mail. What they're saying is God knows everything and that omniscience, there's a, a piece of it that comes into me as a gift, Right? This is part of the inheritance that God gives me. But let me tell you what happens when I share that with someone and they come alive in their faith. They're like they realize God knows me. He knows my struggle. He's heard my prayer. He's come to rescue me. He, he, he's, I mean, there's a worshipful attitude and a, and a joy that begins to come over their face. And when I see that, it does the same thing to me. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? So part of the inheritance, when I seek the gifts, and the Bible says to seek the gifts, to go after these things that are part of God's inheritance in our life. Why? Because, first of all, I can bless you. I can bless my, my brother and my sister, right? I can, I can help you discover more of who you are in God. I can help you walk in your inheritance by walking in my own. Like I said, they're interconnected. Our inheritance, 
is to be the image of God on earth as it is in heaven. It's a big, big part of this to demonstrate God's kingdom, to demonstrate the family business. God has a kingdom. He is a king. Jesus, it, the scripture speaks to this, the royalty of who he is, right, <clears throat> sits on a throne in heaven. And then you and I sit right next to him. That's what scripture says, right? And what does that mean? And the other, other parts of scripture talks about us being seated in heavenly places. Again, that dual citizenship, living here on earth and living in heaven at the same time. Our inheritance is designed literally to bring heaven to earth. And we're going to get to that in just a moment in a scripture and a prayer that Jesus talked about. But it's interesting how the prodigal, just to come back to the prodigal son, it's interesting how the prodigal took the inheritance that his father had given him, right? And he went out and he spent it on riotous living. The translation is he spent it on himself, right? He, he got money and he just blew it. He blew it to get friends that weren't really his friends. And then he ends up in the place where he has nothing and he realizes his father has everything. And scripture talks about, you know the story, he comes back to him, but he comes back with a servant mentality. And that's part of what God wants to break us free from. Part of our inheritance is to really understand what grace means. That we don't come back as servants, but we come back as sons with a full inheritance. He has qualified us to walk in the inheritance he's given us. But the older son had everything, right, but would never use it. And so we, I've talked about this before, how the older son was given more inheritance because it was his responsibility to take care of the brother and the sister and the siblings. And so that's the picture we get. If we're not careful, we cannot even be aware of the gifts or we can never pursue the gifts. And so we used to say it like this, you know, those, the grace of God is like faucets. You know, the grace of God and the, and the grace gift, the faucet, pours out teaching and, and administration and leadership and all those grace gifts. The manifestation gifts we just mentioned is another faucet. And then uh, the, the five-fold ministry gifts are another faucet. And God's pouring out his grace. That's part of our inheritance to receive. And he's pouring it out. And so very often, some people don't even know there are different faucets. And some people, people see them, and because they don't understand or they had a bad experience, they turn the faucet off. And I just want to encourage you, man, open the faucets up. And as I used to say in the radio, break the knob off, right? So it's all got everything that God has for you is always coming to you. And the, but that prodigal, the older son, he, he didn't waste his inherit, inheritance. He hoarded it, right? And you can do that. You can take what God's given you, and you can never use it to bless others. Will it bless you? Absolutely it will. But it will bless you more if you use the inheritance you've given to rescue your brothers and sisters, and to bring them into their inheritance. So our inheritance is to be the image of God, to be blessed, empowered, to prosper. You know, God's intention, you always hear about the prosperity gospel, and the reason why the prosperity gospel is so wrong is because it always ends with using it for yourself and nothing else. But if you understand the inheritance, why would, why would you think God would withhold any good thing to reach humanity? Right? I always wonder about people, with, and, and again, it's, I've been challenged there as well, that, that God, your intention is to do this, and you own the cattle on a thousand hills, so why am I worrying about money? Now, don't get me wrong, I can, I can be negligent, and we're going to get to that in a second, and, and not co-labor with God, and I have to be careful not to do that. But why would I think that he would withhold any good thing, first of all, just because he loves me, right? That would be plenty. But if he's giving the gifts, not just as my inheritance, but to bless others and bring them into their inheritance, why would he withhold any good thing? And then also, why would he be miserly, right? Why would he be cheap with that? And so my expectation, if I'm going to get prophecy, let me get it big, right? Um, we, we had a, an opportunity to go and sit with a modern-day prophet. And I know that freaks some people out, but you're just going to have to get past it. So I know, that, I know that that gets abused a lot. I do. I get it. But, but it's still true, whether you like it or not. And so we've sat under people who have abused that prophetic gift. And as a pastor, I've seen people try to manipulate. And I've had to adjust some people in, in congregations because they were doing that. That's part of the leadership gift God gave me is to help them with their inheritance, right? But if those people rise to prominence without their brothers and sisters, what typically happens is they spend the gift on themselves. But what happens is if they rise with their brothers and sisters and there's perspective and there, there's humility and all that, and the answer is it gets really powerful if they're willing to pursue it and believe God for big things. And so I've sat across from people where prophetic people have told them their address. I've sat across people where they've told them their, what they do, and what they worked, where they were born, all kinds of examples. And you find this throughout modern church history, um, not just, you know, 
the seeing it in the Bible, but modern church history. Why? Because they believed that God not only was good, but that he wasn't cheap. <laughs> and that he was able to do exceedingly and abundantly more. Right? So I just want to challenge you to go after that. So here's the last thing we're talking about. How do you get this inheritance? We talked about who the one is who gives you the inheritance, what the inheritance actually is, and there's no way to cover all of that, especially trying to combine two, two messages into one, one service. It's just impossible. It, it would be impossible to do in a series. But we've talked enough about some of what the inheritance is available to you. Ultimately, our inheritance is the Lord himself. That's really the big, the big and everything that he is and he provides, of course. But how do you get it? And the answer I mentioned earlier was partly is through relationship with him. In a kingdom, my favor and inheritance are dependent on my relationship to the king. Right? In the old feudal system, if you were born in the house of, of the Lord, right, you had all of the inheritance. If you were born a peasant, you could work the land, but you could never own it. And that's a picture of the old covenant and the new covenant, obviously, where we become sons. And so it's helpful to understand that, that we have been designed um, to, to be in relationship with God. And because of that, through this relationship, we are co-heirs with Christ. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We read this in Romans eight seventeen: If children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Right? There's a part there about your suffering. We can get into that if you'd like over coffee <laughs> and what that actually means. But the point I'm trying to bring out of this scripture is that you are an heir of God and you're co-heirs with Christ. He's the older brother in the prodigal son. He's always been the older brother, but not the bad one. He's the one who took his inheritance and came to rescue his, his younger brothers. So there's another way is understanding him. This one, this one is part of what discipleship actually is. We, you know, Jesus called us to make disciples. So too often, we're, as believers, we don't do that. We're, we're busy trying to be a disciple, and that's a good thing because that's the other aspect of it. But part of being a disciple is learning how to make other disciples. Again, it's interconnected. So we have to get to know him. We get, I talked about getting to know him earlier and knowing who the giver is through the word of God. Um, he, re, he has revealed himself through um, his spirit. He will speak mysteries to you, the Bible talks about. He'll speak intimate things to you as you build relationship with him. But when you're reading the Word of God, context is king. There's a scripture in 2 Timothy 2.15. This is one of the things that get more people in trouble, especially in the days of social media with Facebook theology. I did a whole series on Facebook theology. These little excerpts of scripture that are completely out of context, right? And people hold to them. And same thing, and we mentioned this before, is getting your, your, uh, your theology from country music or rock music or rap. God forbid, I don't know. But this is what Scripture says in 2 Timothy. It says to be diligent to present yourself approved to God. It doesn't mean approve yourself to God or get approved by God, but to present, your, to your, present yourself to God that you have been approved. In other words, that you are walking in the fullness of what, of what God has given you in terms of understanding who He is. It says a worker who does not need to be ashamed. In other words, you're a son, but you're also working in the family business. Those two things can, be, uh, it can exist at the same time, and they do. So this scripture is talking about the working aspect, that you are a worker. There's something for you to do. You have to be busy with your inheritance. You can't just be a playboy spending it on yourself. At some point, Batman has to come back and rescue Gotham. Are you with me? <laughs> some of you guys are like, who's Batman? Anyway, it says, who does not need to be ashamed. See, there are aspects of it, again, that we can miss. This is not talking about shame and guilt and condemnation. That's a whole different category. What it's talking about is there, there are things that I neglected and I could do that I haven't done. And so that's not permanent shame, but it is a sense of feeling, hey, there's more, and I need to be diligent, and I need to be intentional about grabbing hold of what's been made available. So not, don't need to be ashamed, but rightly divide the word of truth. And so this, again, is a New Testament scripture, but it's talking about understanding scripture and that if you get it, if you really get it, if you really get to understand who God is, that it will literally be able to cut between bone and, I mean, between bone and marrow and spirit and, and soul. The whole idea is to understand that, that scripture wants to talk to you about your natural inheritance and your supernatural inheritance at the same time. And you can get that often through the word of God is where it's introduced. So you have to pay attention in the context to stay on the big picture. Right? If you notice, one of the things we're seeing right now in, in the, social, I mean, in the uh, political climate is, is the other political party is pulling 
pieces of speeches out of context and presenting them as a definition of the character of the person who's running against them. Have you noticed this? And that's a common thing. It's common to do. We, we do that, if we're not careful, we'll do that in arguments. Well, you, you're one. That's how we did it when we were like two, right? Oh, yeah, well, you're one. Because the whole thing is you can't attack the idea, right? Because, you, you know, you know you took their toy and, and you shouldn't have, right? So you know that. But you can't, you don't want to talk about the merits of the policy. <laughs> you just want to attack their character. And the enemy is good at this because the Bible says he is the accuser of the brethren. That's constantly what he's doing. And if you're not careful, you get wrong context. The enemy uses Scripture literally to accuse you and to remove you from the presence of God, to take you away and to take you out of intimacy with God. It's not possible if you understand your, your, your relationship as a son. But if you don't, the enemy will take advantage of the fact that you're naive. So keep that in mind. That, that's why it's so important to read every day. Read Scripture every day as often as you can. Listen to Scripture. Get into the Word of God. Do Bible studies. Be a disciple. Grow in your understanding of who God is. Because if you get these things out of context, the enemy can take advantage of you. Matthew 5 and 6 is a really good example of this. You should never take a verse alone. You should never take a verse out of the context of the paragraph, the paragraph out of the context of the chapter, and the chapter out of the context of the book, and the book out of the whole. Don't do it. Because all of it speaks to who God is, and it's no different than a multifaceted diamond. You're looking at it from a different direction. It reflects differently. So here's some example, Matthew 5 and 6. I've talked about this numerous times, about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus comes, and so, so often people talk about this being the new law, right, the New Testament law. Jesus comes and says, this is how you should then live, right? If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, read the Sermon on the Mount on the mount, read, you know, Matthew 5 and 6, and it starts out with this beautiful um, passage called the Beatitudes, right, the blessings. And we read this, and we're like, yeah. And so what's happening, if you understand the context, Jesus is talking about the kingdom, right? Now, you remember, Jesus has a picture of both the old covenant and the new covenant at the same time, but nobody he's talking to has that picture. Nobody. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus is prophesying of the kingdom that's coming through him laying his life down and what that's going to mean. And oftentimes you see him intermixing the prophetic ministry he came to bring that the Messiah has come. I am he, Jesus said, right, to Pilate. So the the Messiah has come. God has come to earth. And what he's about to do, we know the story. We have this incredible blessing of having seen the other part of, of the covenant, right? But nobody in his day had. Some people had seen it prophetically. David had done that. You see some of the, some of the Psalms. David actually prophesies of the new covenant. He goes in, he sits down in the, in, you know, in, the, in the temple in places he shouldn't be, let alone sit. Right? He should be standing, and yet he does because there's something he understood of the new covenant. But here's my point. If you read this passage, and you read it, and you do what most people say do, and they say, if Jesus said it, that settles it. Right? That's true, but out of context, it's going to get you in a lot of trouble. Let me just give you an example. You know, again, go back and read this Um, passage, you know, the passage from 5 all the way through chapter 6. You know, it starts getting into the Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer. They said, teach us how to pray, and so he does. But still, some of that Lord's Prayer, and I know some people don't like to hear this, is founded in the Old Covenant. And, And I know people who, if, you know, they're part of their life is reciting the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's something that calms them. Part of that is, you can do that with poetry, let's just be honest, right? Some of it is just the words that come out and, and, the, and, and the, the sense of peace that it gives you because you know who God is. But oftentimes we can say things, I've quoted many a, uh, you know, a poetry uh, aspect in, I remember in high school and I have a clue what it means. <laughs> Read it later on and go, oh, that's not good at all. You know, I have no idea. So here's Matthew 5, 17, because this is where the context changes in this passage. Remember, he's talking about the Beatitudes, the blessings of the kingdom. And he gets to this and he says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy but to fulfill. So that alone is is a powerful passage about what the Messiah came to do, right? Not to take away the law. The law's never been removed. The law's good, that's what Scripture says. And we're going to talk about that in the future as we get more and more into understanding grace and what that means, especially when it becomes missional and how we reach out to people. But he said, I didn't come to destroy the law. So he, he literally changes the subject. 
And then from here on out, he's talking to people who are under the law about the law. It goes on. This is what some of these scriptures say. And you can see how you can get confused. Verse 20, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Everybody knew the, the Pharisees, um, the scribes and the Pharisees were the most, they were the most, um, not holy, but they were the most righteous, at least on the outside, people that were, they would literally tithe their spices when they would cook, right? Yeah, legalistic, but that's what they would do. So if, let, just what Jesus said, unless you exceed that, you don't, you don't get to enter the kingdom of heaven. He goes on, verse 22. I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. You ever been angry at your brother without cause? I have a, I have a natural brother, and he's driving me crazy. He's 11 years younger, and sometimes I just wanted to, you know, stick him in the glove compartment and not get him out. You know what I'm talking about? And, and I'm, so I'm sure I violated this, and I'm sure maybe you have too. It could also mean your, you know, your spiritual brother or sister or just your brother in, in, in the world. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. Right? I, people like, you know, I'm just going to do what the red letters say to do. I'm like, I bet you're not. Right? We can talk about it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure you're not doing it. And verse 30, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. I mean, I'd be fine if you're left-handed, right? But that's not most of us, <laughs> right? So what do you do with these scriptures? He goes on, verse, um, this is chapter 6, um, and this is part of the Lord's Prayer, right? If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly, he's talking about, he, he, he talks about in the Lord's Prayer about forgiving trespasses, and he goes on and he, and he qualifies it. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's wonderful news. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive your trespasses. Just take that in for a second. You've just been reading about the Beatitudes. Blessed is he, right? Jesus, I'm like, hey, this is, I got something good for you. This is good. But if you miss it, you need to cut your hand off, poke your eye out, right? <laughs> and if you don't forgive others, sorry, no hope for you, right? What a frightening concept. And, and, and people read this all the time. And so what you do, here's what you typically do. You rationalize it, right? Because you know it's Jesus speaking the red letters. So what you do is go, well, what he meant was, no, no. Jesus never said anything he didn't mean. Remember, perfectly righteous, perfectly whole, perfectly pure. He never lied once. So what do you do with this? And the answer is if you read the context and you know the context, it, it, it's amazing because part of what you do is you've got God, thank you for grace. Thank you that, you know, the, the, the standard has never changed, but the method for acquiring forgiveness and the method for acquiring right standing with God has changed. And if you understand that when you read the Scripture, it, it causes something inside of you to be, to praise God and to honor Him and to ascribe to Him glory because you look and go, wow, that was impossible, God. And if you read Scripture later on in context, as the whole, you read that, the law was given, right, as a schoolmaster to lead you to Christ. Why? The whole thing was, I want, to give you, I want to give you 12 years of education. Try to do everything right, and let's see how that works out for you. And the answer is you can't. And that's what God's driving at, that your inheritance cannot be obtained through you. It can't. It has to come from someone who actually has the inheritance. And the good news is he's given it freely. But there is a method to receiving it. Part of that is understanding the context. And of course, believing and obeying God. Faith, taking God at his word. That's what Abraham did. And the Bible said God accounted it to him as righteousness. He, he balanced his checkbook, if you will, right? He reconciled him because he believed God would do what he actually said he would do. That's the challenge to you and I in our faith. Believing and then obeying him, trusting that he would do it. Co-laboring. We talked about this. Luke eleven twenty eight 28 says, um, he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. There's a blessing that comes in obedience, right? Hebrews 12, 8. And this one was, I remember reading this and I first read it in the King James and it had a bad word in it. If you grew up in the South, you can't use this word. But Hebrews 12, 8 said, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. And the King James was brutal when I read that. I'm like, you can't say that word, right? Because I grew up in the South. <laughs> we couldn't even say toilet. You had to say bathroom, right? I mean, it was, that's just the way I grew up. And I remember reading that, the B word. And all the, you know, the shame and, and the, 
degradation and the, and the disjointedness, the separation of someone who, who, who was fathered but could never receive an inheritance. And it's what he's talking about. He meant for this to jar you, right? He says if you're not disciplined, And everyone undergoes discipline. He's talking about receiving correction from God, receiving adjustment, being teachable, really is what Scripture talks about in the New New Covenant. If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all, and therefore you cannot walk in your inheritance. You hear that? So, so few people are walking and, and growing because again, we're, all of us are missing it to some degree. Can we just be honest about that? I don't think any of us got 100% yet. But so, so many of us are missing so much. We're, we allow, here's a good example. The season we're in right now is building up to the election. Of course, right before that, people are so concerned about who's, what's going to happen. Now, don't get me wrong, you should be right? Because this matters. The election matters. It changes often things in your own life, and and it makes it more difficult to be a Christian or less difficult to be a believer, right? So it really matters what it can do to, to the unborn, and the list goes on and on, the disenfranchised, all that, right? Your, to your natural inheritance. Ta- I mean, all kinds of things affect it. So pray. Go after this. Lean in. Because God has an intention in all this. And you vote according, hopefully, according to the kingdom principles. And we can talk about what that looks like if you want to grab a coffee. But there's a tension. There has to be an attention in both what God has done for me and what re- God requires of me. See, there's a co-laboring aspect of it. And there's so much of what God has offered to me that he's offered to me as a son, but I have to pursue that. And if I refuse to do that, then so much of what God has offered me in this world, I won't see until the next. And again, much of what we've been offered in this world won't exist there. Right? It just won't. I mean, think about marriage. One of the scriptures that freaked me out the most when I read it was Jesus said, because they, they tried to trick Jesus about a brother who died and, you know, his brother's part of their culture was to marry so that there would be inheritance, descendants, right? And Jesus said, you, you err because you don't know the scripture. You don't understand God. You're, you're, you don't know what is available. And he makes this comment about, he says, in, in heaven we're going to be like the angels, neither married or given in marriage. I was like, What? Because <laughs> I got married at 19, right? Karen and I dated since the third grade, so we had a long relationship. <laughs> but I got married at 19, and happily so. Um, and I can't imagine a life without her. But, and, and not that she won't be in heaven. Honey, you're fine. I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying that the relationship we have is a gift to her and I and to you guys for this world to paint a picture of what it's like to be in a relationship with our husband, Jesus. You want to go deep in a Bible study, do that one, right? But that won't be there. And so if I don't take advantage of this, if I don't learn what it means to be married, if I don't, if I don't fashion my, my marriage to the values and, and to the design that Scripture has given me, not only will I miss this natural inheritance that's so amazing, but I'll miss a heavenly one until I get there and go, oh. But if I miss it, then part of that is I can't use that to bless others. See how that works? It's, a, it's, again, how fascinating how it's interrelational. But the tension has to be on both what God does for me and what God requires of me. There is always a tension in the two. It's never just about you, but it is about you receiving. Part of faith is an actionable belief. It's not a, an assent to, to knowledge. Hear me. The Bible says the devil believes in God. Right? So that's not what he's talking about when God's talking about believing in him. He's talking about having faith, right? And anything that's not of faith is sin. That means anything that's not of faith is missing God's best intention. That's what it means. It's missing the mark. And so God's intention for us is this. So let me close with this. I was reading recently in, in Ruth, kind of the daily reading thing. It just goes, you know, just goes through passages. And sometimes I, I, I cheat and I read ahead because the story's so fascinating. <laughs> I'm like, I want to find out what happens. And I'm like, you've read this story a thousand times. You know exactly what happens. But I'm like, I want to, I want to do it now. Anyway, I was reading this, and, and, uh, and you know, the story of, of uh, Boaz and Ruth is just fascinating. This, this picture of the kinsman redeemer. Anyway, it's a whole series all its own. But uh, she finds herself in the field. And the, the culture God had set up in the law, the culture, was that they would, they would not, they would not uh, harvest the corners of the field. 
right? So when they would get to the corners of the fields, they would just kind of make a big curve and they would leave all the corners there. And then they also said if you miss something, if you're, you know, something happens to the, you know, to the, to the harvesting part of, you know, what they're using, it breaks down or whatever, and there's a part of it that they, they tried but they missed, they had to leave it. And the reason for it was because it was for the poor, right? So there were people who had properties, right, but they could not, you know, they, um, they owned the properties and they would harvest and, you know, again, there was an inheritance for their children and often they were generous to the poor. But even if they weren't, God made sure that the poor had provision, right? But if the person didn't go out into the field, into that corner where the harvest was and glean it, they went hungry. And you will too. You'll hunger for peace. You'll hunger for relationship. You'll hunger for mercy. You'll hunger for um, what it means to walk without shame. You'll be hungry all the time. You'll be thirsty. That's the way Jesus put it. You'll long for something to drink and it, and it won't seem to be available. And, uh, you know, the, the old passage about being out on the sea, water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. <laughs> And that's what happens if you miss this. And that's why it's so important. I, you know, I do series from time to time, and some of them are good. Well, some of them are better than others, let me put it that way. Um, but I, I, I really, there's something about this that's been in my heart as a, as a pastor for as long as I can remember. That the thing that hurts me the most is to see people not walk in their inheritance. I was talking with someone recently about someone who was a part of our church for a season. And they... Uh, they had a call on their life. There was a direction that they were supposed to go. And whoever you're thinking about, it's not them. <laughs> and so, so there, was, there was challenge that, that came because that's, you know, to grow up into that, God makes big promises when you're little, right? And then you realize that part of that promise is a co-laboring aspect. There's some things that you need to adjust and things that you need to do, things that you need to take advantage of that's been made available, whatever that looks like for you. And everybody's different on what that looks like. Some degree we're the same, but, but there's aspects of it that yours and yours alone to do, right? And I, and I remember um, I went to this person. I said, hey, um, we want to bring you into team with us, right? We want to we release you into greater responsibility and greater authority. But every time we pray and every time we as a team think about doing this, the Lord says no. Why? Because when I look at your life, I don't, see, I don't see any obvious reason why that is. I said, do you know? Is that because you help me? It's like, yeah, I think I do. Long pause, nothing. <laughs> I was like, well, would you like to share that with me so maybe we could help you get past that? No. <laughs> and I just think about that so often that that God in His kindness and His goodness has made everything that we have need of available. Everything that pertains to life and godliness, He's already given us in Christ. We know that, Scripture and Peter. But there are, and I watch this with people, they make decisions and say that this is this temporary thing or this selfish thing has more value than the inheritance of God. You see this, probably the best picture is Esau. Right? He's hungry, and because he's not disciplined, because he's selfish, he walks in, he's hungry, and he trades his inheritance for a bowl of soup. And I'll bet that soup was good, right? Which is probably why, why, why in the moment that became a temptation, right? Because if it was bad soup, probably not an issue. It was good soup. And that's usually the problem. Whatever it is that you're trading for your inheritance is usually good soup. You can tweet that if you want, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's not, it's not like I don't understand because I've had moments in that as well. But at some point, you have to come back and say, do I really believe in what God has said to me about the inheritance that's made available to me? I remember Greg saying one time in a leadership meeting, um, others may, you may not, if you're going to be a leader. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't like people putting a limitation on my freedom Grace, you know, it's like grace. Greg Haswell, like, like he doesn't understand grace. <laughs> but the concept had nothing to do with grace. Again, others may, you may, right? But you can't also be mature if you're going to do that. So the Bible says grace teaches us to say no to sin. 
if you're a believer, you can sin, right? And it's, again, I know this is controversial. It's not going to affect your eternal inheritance. As a believer, if you sin, it will not affect your eternal inheritance. Don't get me wrong, the Bible talks about there are rewards. Not the same thing, I'm talking about something different. But if you sin, if you miss the mark, if you find something more valuable than the inheritance, then every bit of that inheritance was designed not just for you, but to bless you and then go through you and bless others, now becomes unavailable to you and to others. So if you're wondering why the world's going to hell in a handbasket, it's not because of the broken people. It's because of the people who are broken who don't have to be. Jesus gave the church for the hope of the world. That's you and I. But we're never going to see that hope realized if we don't do what is necessary to walk into the fullness of God's inheritance. But here's the good news. It is available. It is always waiting. And even if you've missed it for years, the Bible says in this beautiful passage in the Old Testament that flies into the New Testament because it's a picture of God's heart for us all, that talks about that even when the locusts come and eat a field, right, that he will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Now, when locusts eat something, they devastate it. They leave nothing there. There is no harvest. There is no inheritance. And yet the Lord says, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. But it's up to you to receive it. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? I want to finish and pray over this scripture. It's John 1.10. This was the disciple that Jesus loved. That's what the disciple said. <laughs> he said, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So Jesus, we say thank you. Because of what you did, Lord, you have given us the right to become children of God, and therefore, Lord, to be qualified for an incredible inheritance. Lord, would you teach us who you are so that we can trust that you have an inheritance and that you're good and you want to give it? Lord, will you help us understand what is made available to us, what our inheritance is? And lastly, Lord, would you just help us to do what is necessary, to co-labor, to be co-heirs, to do the part to receive what has been freely given. Lord, help us to see the value And to, Lord, make the choice to walk in it, not just for ourselves, Lord, but that the world would be blessed through the inheritance you've given me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. If you guys uh, would like prayer, just hang out in your seat as everybody else is leaving. One of our leaders will check with you and see if you want prayer. If you are online, you can send us uh, an email at prayer at dothancf.com. You can also go online. There's a place where you can click on that. We would love to pray with you, whether it's uh, send a prayer through email or even just uh, give you a call if you're open to do that. We love you guys. Uh, Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.